It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. In 1975, uh, a young Irish-American is on a mission to enlist in the U.S. Marine Corps. He wants to be a Marine recon. His name is John Crawley. He rose to the rank of sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. And then he came back from America and he promptly joined the IRA. And he's written a book about his time in the American military and in the IRA and what he got up to. And he, of course, was one of the crew of the Marita Ann when it was um, captured. And he did time, not once, but twice. John Crawley now lives in County Monaghan, and uh, and he joins me. The book is called The Yank. John, morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to speak with you. You'd be described, you. I think, pro- you live now in County Monaghan. You, you'd be, you'd dis- be described, I think, as unrepentant. Might I ask why a young man with no northern connections goes to America, joins the elite of the elite over there, they don't get much more elite than Marine Recon, and leaves mm-hmm. what could have been a, a, a glittering American military career to come home and join the IRA? Why'd you do that? Well, I had no northern connections, but I had Irish connections, and uh, I saw it as um, uh, I was inspired to fight for the to stand beside men and women who were fighting for the full freedom and independence of Ireland and to challenge British jurisdiction in this country. And and basically, you know, uh, through the long Irish period of Irish history, there's basically three choices you can make: you stand idly by, you actively collaborate, or you resist. And I made my decision, BJ. Yeah. And you specifically went over to get the highest level of U.S. military training that you could achieve. Yes. Yeah. Well, I did I did so with a view towards enhancing my own professional development and to um, uh, test my commitment to whether I, I, I did what, whether I, or not I would actually come home back to Ireland and join the IRA. But I didn't do so with this, uh, you know, this view that I was going to come home and, you know, make everything better for the IRA or be some sort of asset that way. I, I mean, I really believed at the time that the IRA was, was this professional, highly uh, sophisticated guerrilla organization that I was hearing about, actually hearing about mostly from the Brits. So I didn't really particularly believe the IRA needed my help, but uh, I wanted to join and do what I could. And uh, as time went on, I began to see that there were certain weaknesses and yeah. uh, organizational failures that you know could have been addressed and weren't. 
I was reading your book over the last few days and you point out like when you came back with the high level of military training and skill package that you brought, you you were shocked, I think, at, at some of the ways the IRA was, was working. And so some areas were highly organized and highly strategic and others were, were very much ad hoc. Well... <clears throat> the IRA, uh, very few people in the IRA did, uh, had professional military training, and that didn't surprise me. I mean, that that, that was obvious. It was a volunteer guerrilla organization. But what, what did surprise me was the lack of interest at a, at a higher level within the IRA at, at, at um, developing, you know, military tactics, uh, skills, yeah. and procedures that would have enhanced our ability as as an organization to uh, you know i fully supported you know uh, waging war on the british military presence in, in in the north of ireland i didn't um and to do everything we possibly could to avoid casualties that that were you know that were um that were not you know british military for example and 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 partly to do that was to, to was to develop our our professionalism yeah you would you you <clears throat> met and I got to know quite well martin mcginnis um, and I think you, you, you say in the book you were starstruck at first, um, but I think your relationship was a tad fraught. That's my reading of it, John. Was it? <clears throat> it became so because um, I, you know, I liked Martin, and Martin was a very, very intelligent and very intelligent man. But uh, I couldn't detect any real interest in, you know, developing our military capabilities uh, to a higher level. In fact, I often got the feeling that I was bothering him and that he almost took it as almost a personal slight that, you know, things could be improved, like that reflected on him or on the organization, which which I found very surprising because at the active service unit level, the, the men, you know, were very keen on all this and were very anxious to learn. And, and uh, I mean, the people like Jim Lane I talk about were just uh, absolutely uh, so motivated to uh, improve themselves militarily yeah. in any way they the, could. There's you know? a story you tell about um, when Martin told you about a rocket attack and mm -hmm. in his description of the rocket attack, you understood from your training that's not how it happened. It can't happen that way. You tried to tell him, and he didn't like that. Well, he 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 got a bit sullen about that, and I found that a little bit uh, disconcerting because, I mean, if I meet somebody who's in another military or another special forces, whatever, you know, I'd have their head tortured from, you know, just how do you do this? How do you do that? And, you know, the conversation back and forth and the flow and learning. But I found uh, with some IRA people, especially at the top, that uh, if you uh, made suggestions on improvement or had any with uh, what they perceive as criticism, they didn't like it. And that to me was a lack of professionalism that shocked me. Yeah. There are many civilian victims of the IRA. Now, there are many civilian victims of the other side, too. There are many civilian victims of the IRA who would be appalled at the thoughts of a former IRA man writing a book like this. Where do you stand on civilian victims, John? Well, I mean, there, there shouldn't be any civilian victims, but I have to say that I don't feel responsible, for instance, that I had no personal involvement in. I mean, uh, you know... Uh, I'm asked uh, in a lot of interviews to uh, sort of justify things that are unjustifiable, but I feel no more responsibility for 
actions I was not involved in than I do, for example, the Miley massacre in Vietnam because I joined the American military, or maybe an Irish Army officer would feel over you know tying Republicans to landmines. I mean, you know, uh, to put things in the in in, the, in its greatest perspective. I mean, none of this would have happened if the British kept their noses out of this country but you know terrible things did happen i personally wasn't i was personally never involved in anything that i'm ashamed of but shameful things did happen and uh we all regret that and we all have empathy for anybody suffering and it's no i mean anybody that lost anybody as a result of our actions for the area to say they didn't mean it i'm i'm sure that just adds insult to injury Mm. now you don't approve of the good friday agreement i believe why uh, well, let me put this in the in the perspective when we when we're talking about what they call the peace process. I fully support the peace. I am totally behind the peace, but I am critical of a process that cannot lead to Irish Republican goals because the United Ireland that's proposed by the Good Friday Agreement is one where the sectarian dynamic between Protestant Unionists and Catholic Nationalists is kept intact. So in other words, it's offering territorial unity in exchange for a guarantee of continued civic division and an enduring place for the British Crown and representing a minority faction in this country who would prefer to see themselves as some sort of post-colonial garrison than as citizens of an Irish Republic. I mean, the goal of Irish Republicanism was to end the connection with England, to break the connection with England, and to build a joint civic identity. Mm -hmm. And yes, Ulster Unionists are unquestionably a distinct community, but they are not a separate nation. Because if they were a separate nation, Prince Charles, we're told, is coming to visit the four nations of the UK. Well, they don't say the five nations of the UK. They don't say he's visiting Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and the two nations in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But it's strange, I find funny, that you know Ireland's one nation when it's under British rule, but as soon as we start talking about national unity, we're two nations. Do you not accept that in every conflict that ever was anywhere in the world, there's always compromise at the end and that the Good Friday Agreement was the compromise that allowed Northern Ireland to be now peaceful? Well, Northern Ireland, <laughs> you see, it is, we have, we have, we have peace and I, 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 I say we support the peace, but you see, there has to be, to reach Republican goals, there, there, our goals, there has to be a trajectory towards that, that that's open in some way. Uh, if you look at the Downing Street Declaration, uh, which mentions the, has 13 points, it mentions the unions if you don't aid them, never mentions the, the nationalism or republicanism. If you look at the Mitchell principles and you look at the framework documents, you'll see that the Irish Republic was not on the table. So, you know, when, when, when you're fighting a, a struggle, you, it does have to end the negotiations, but you must have some opportunity to reach your goals yeah. at the negotiating table. Which 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 wasn't the case, and it was the same thing in uh, the Anglo-Irish uh, treaty negotiations when partition was already brought in before they even negotiated. So what the Brits do and what they always do is their strategy is to get republicanism in and keep republicanism out. Yeah. What what did you think of yeah. two things in particular? Will you write about the the shaking hands, Martin McGuinness shaking hands yeah. with the Queen when that happened in, in two thousand and twelve? But think yeah. back to just yesterday's news. You may have seen the, the clip of Michelle O'Neill speaking with yeah. King Charles yesterday. What did you think of that? That was a very warm conversation. What did you think of that? Well, Tony Blair said uh at the start of the Good Friday Agreement that Decommissioning uh, arms was not important. What was important was decommissioning mindsets. And in the incident you describe, 
you see the decommissioned mindset in action, a mindset that is saying to the Irish people that the British royal family has an enduring role to play even in a future United Ireland. And, uh, you know, we have to end the sectarian dynamic. And, uh, you know, we can't do that by, you know, retaining the malignancy of conflicting national loyalties which are baked into the new Ireland envisioned under the Good Friday Agreement, which is neither new nor agreed, but it's predicated in all the old divisions. And, you know, there's been a, a huge, what the Americans call mission drift in all this, that the struggle was simply to end partition. Uh, there was no partition in 1916 when, when, when the rebellion was launched. There was no partition in 1791 when the United Irishmen were formed. So what do they mean by United Ireland? Because Ireland was already geographically united. They meant mm -hmm. the unity of Irishmen as, as, as a joint, with a joint civic identity uh, and the connection with England broken. But what you saw with Sinn Féin there, with Martin McGuinness and uh, Michelle O'Neill, is you've seen an organization that now says... We're not going to break the connection with England. We're going to retain it even in the new United Ireland, okay. which uh, it's not it's not a Republican position. OK, it may bring peace. You know, it may bring peace and, yeah. and that might be fine. And I know there's many people in this country want peace at any price and under any name. And that's fine. But it is not an Irish Republic. OK. Lastly, you had yeah. to deal for quite some time with Whitey Bulger. And briefly, yes. what was he like? Well, you know, um, PJ, with with all with the movies about him and all the books and so much in hindsight, you know, we know things now we didn't know at the time. But he came across as a very plausible businessman, uh, intelligent, very capable, and with access to resources we needed. I mean, if I'd have known that this guy was murdering people and pulling their teeth out and you know some stuff you know we know now is just it's absolutely appalling but um we simply did not know that at the time i, I mean i knew the man was a criminal i knew the man was involved in organized crime and uh needs must from the double drives and if you're trained to get weapons you have to deal with people who are willing to right. uh break the law but um you know, he came across, uh, you know, uh, uh, as, as, a, as a businessman who was willing to maybe bend the rules a bit, but certainly not as the mercurial psychopath that, yeah. that he was, apparently was, you know. He, he didn't portray the constant air of menace that you see in the movies. You know, he yeah. could be quite urbane. And, I, I, you know. I was quite taken aback, actually, in the book, John, by your description of the first meetings you had with him, actually. I, it, it wasn't yeah. how I had expected him to be portrayed. John, I'm going to have to yeah. leave it there. The book is a fascinating read. It's a, now, I, I will say it, say it to your, well, not to your face, you're on the end of the line, but it's a frightening read, John. And it's a read that will make some people uncomfortable, but it's also an incredibly, an incredible telling of history or a period in our history. John Crawley, his book is called The Yank. Courts 96 FM.